0: Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm reading out of the New American Standard so whatever comes up on the screen I don't know if they found it but uh, I go back to that original Bible I had when I was, this is not the original copy of the Bible but I started in the New American Standard so when I kind of Think about, oh, everybody uses NIV or ESV. Uh, I still kind of sneak in my NASB anyway. It says, you were dead, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formally walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, there's a course this world has, And all you have to do to fall in line with that is not really, you don't even have to fight against it. You just have to let go and drift. And you will find yourself going according to the course of this world, the way they live, the way they think. That's why we are called to fight the fight of faith, which means if you're going to go in the opposite direction of the course of this world, it is going to require energy, it takes no energy at all just to do what the world does. All you have to do is let go and just say, and then you can, you can actually have your boat pointed in the right direction. Oh, I'm loving God. I'm this way. But if you're not fighting the fight of faith, you're going in this way. I'm not moonwalking. I'm not showcasing, showcasing all my talents in this nine o'clock service. But it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formally walk, meaning you're not walking that anymore. You're not doing that. You're going to find this all through the New Testament. There is a before and after, what you were and what you are. It's not like, well, I was that, but I'm, I'm still that, but I'm now I'm just a forgiven that. No, there's a difference. It says, you walked according to the course of this world, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we, too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, that means that the wrath, when you walk this way, the laws of God, which our, our nation, other nations, law itself, when I talk to students about truth and, 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 and things like that, Everyone wants truth when it comes to their life. They want the evil to stop in the world out there, but they don't want it to necessarily stop coming through them. They want you to get rid of your evil, but they want to keep theirs. And the laws, the Bible says that police are the ministers of God. There's good and bad ministers, just like there are in the pulpit. But that doesn't mean that the laws are not necessary. And the laws of God, the laws of physics are set up to restrain evil if you're if you're bound and determined to to do evil then somehow there's going to be something working against you wrath is going to come to stop you you were child of wrath even as the rest if you walk in this way but god verse 4 being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I'm going to come back to this when we talk at length about this text. But it's interesting that it says that he's raised you up to not only show you kindness now, but in the ages to come. Meaning that there's more to what existence is than this life. If you've ever had something bad happen to you, which we just experienced, this family experienced, others every day are experiencing these tragedies, and it seems like why would God, this is so, the the weight is devastating, but in the ages to come, the kindness of God like Job, as Job got further and further away from his disaster and he began to see the kindness of God, then things begin to come into perspective. Think about what it's going to be in the ages to come for all of us. To realize how good God really is in ultimate eternity. And you have an eternity. He has an eternity to show you his goodness. You you don't have to say amen. I'll amen that one. That is a good promise from God. Thank you, Jesus. In the ages to come, he might show his riches and kindness. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here's verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, help us in these brief moments to understand that we have an opportunity in simple faith to walk into some pretty astounding things for your glory and your honor. Amen. We all walked according to the course of this world. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked. It says, and were not only child of wrath, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, meaning that if you want to walk this way, you get supernatural help. Think about that. It says there is a spirit, put this back up if, if you can, Robert, and I thank you for being flexible back there. There's a spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, meaning that when you look out and you see evil, it almost seems like it's choreographed. You ask yourself, how can evil people seem to find each other? How can divisive people, how can racist people, how can all of these people, they seem to find each other? Because there is a spirit, there's an air traffic controller for the kingdom of darkness. Not only that, there is something inside of those who are dead according to their trespasses and sins. That was a little bit ahead of the moment, but that's okay. I'll talk about that in a minute. I just saw that. In other words, it says in Romans one thirty. it says when it says... The wrath of God comes upon all those and it begins to list all the problems in Romans chapter 1 that are going on in our world. Then it says they are inventors of evil. They invent ways to do evil. There are people today that are sitting around trying to think of ways to hurt people. They are are scoping out neighborhoods, they're scoping out governments, they're scoping out nations, and they're trying to figure out, how can I do evil? That's what Romans 1.30 says. It says, they are inventors of evil. This is the course of this world. This is our challenge. On April 30th, a young man opened fire at University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Three days later, the Holy Spirit said, go to that campus. So I got on a plane here, just flew, it's just a little simple flight went to the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and walked the campus. They'd actually dismissed the students and said, if you're not flunking, then you can go back home. And so the only people there were really in trouble. And so I walked around the campus and just met people. And what you saw, you can put that back if you don't mind, Robert. So this is what happened a couple of days ago. So I went to the campus with my friend Frank Turek, and we did this outreach, If God, Why Evil. Here's the next slide. If you can see that, this is the students that showed up. This was on, this is Sunday, so this was Thursday. Kids got saved. But there's, when evil happens, there's a response to it. There's, a, there's a, an openness. 9-11, September 11th, many of you don't re- know the story, but it's a part of Bethel's story. Uh, I was sitting watching the, the buildings go down, and the Lord spoke to me go to New York. So I, I told my wife, and usually I think, you know, my wife's going to tell me, I don't like you to travel. And especially on, a, at, on the day after 9-11, I, I'm, I'm just hoping she goes, no, you can't. That's crazy. And she goes, you know, I think you should. <laughs> so we start, we have a prayer meeting in our old sanctuary, September the 12th. And that night at 10 o'clock, I start driving with three other people to New York City. About 10.30 at night, I had a thought in my mind, and I called our dear friend, our late dear friend, Cynthia Williams, who was a news anchor here at Local Affiliate. And I said, Cynthia, it's 10.30 at night. Most people weren't asleep because not after 9-11, if you remember, we were all just kind of up at night wondering what next. And I said, do you know anybody in the, in the New York media? That was the thought that came to my mind. And Cynthia called me back. She says, I have one name, one name. Her name was Alice Ree. She was a uh, Korean-American, uh, worked with MSNDC. We got to New York on the 13th of September, about 10 o'clock at night, went as close as we could to Ground Zero, and there was, uh, there was Alice Rhee. And she looked at me, and she said, what are you guys doing here? And she said, she said I was this close to giving up on God. She said, I was, I was a Columbine Covering the aftermath of the shooting. And she says, Here with all this mess. And she was literally in the place next, as close as you could get to, the, to Ground Zero, with all the people. If you remember September 11th, and of course, we said we'd never forget, but we've forgotten. Um, people that had signs that said, I'm missing a friend. And they would stand in front of the camera like this, missing my friend. Hopeless. Case. I mean, they had perished and everyone knew it, but it was just if there was one in one millionth of a chance or one in a million chance, they were going to hold a sign up. And Alice Reese said, She said, "Uh, This city is hurting. What are you going to do about it? And I turned to Ron Lewis, who was with me, and I said, You know, we got to do something. So we came back to Bethel on the Sunday after 9 11. And I stood up in our sanctuary. I said, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to plant a church in New York. And a man named Lynn Kieseker, Lynn's still a member of our church. That was his first Sunday. He came up out of the crowd. He said, I have a theater I'm affiliated with right on Times Square. You can use it. So within one month of 9-11, we would do our three services, Pastor Tim and myself. We would jump in a plane, and we would go to New York. We did that for one year. Now there's seven congregations in the area. Seven congregations. But that's what we do when you're wanting to talk about why do we reach a city It's to touch the world. Who would have thought that somebody like Alice Ree about a month later, found our church? She since won two Emmy Awards. Still a very close friend. She'll be here soon at Bethel. But the orchestration of evil... There's always a response, wherever the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord going to raise up a standard, and he's not just going to use Pastor James or myself. He wants to use you. There is a spirit, listen, the most unassuming, innocuous, unlikely people are being used to do evil. It's not, it wasn't Bin Laden doing the attack on the buildings. He, there was somebody you would never, hardly have known their name unless they had, All the the smart and the the, the high-ups and their officials, they were telling everybody else to go sacrifice their lives while they were sitting in the safety of their bunkers. It says, we walk this way according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But then, number two, it says, but God... In in some circles, they they, they do a whole sermon on those two words. (laughs) I I don't have that kind of anointing to do that. It would come out wrong if I started talking that way. They said, what's he talking about, God? (laughs) But it is an interruption. It is a, but God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up. Now, that doesn't mean physically, I'll I'll get this in a moment, it doesn't mean necessarily it's not a physical resurrection at this point. It's saying that he has changed our perspective. He has changed our point of view. He's changed our vision. He's raised us up. It's as if we couldn't see anything. Like we were at Disneyland as a little kid and we were just this little, hey, all we can see is, is, you know, people's backsides. And God in his mercy raises us up and puts us on his shoulders and says, I'm going to show you what I'm doing in the planet. I'm going to give you a perspective. I'm going to raise you up and let you see something. And he wants you to see it. But how does he raise you up? It says, but God being rich in mercy, even when you, we were dead and our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. How did that happen? Were you just walking along one day and all of a sudden, you know, you get zapped? No, he already mentions this in Ephesians, the first chapter. Go back there to Ephesians 1 or look back up. if I, I, I didn't give you this in the back, but it's there. It says in verse 13, it says, in him after, look, listen to verse 13 of Ephesians 1, in him you, also you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So guess when he saved you by grace and, and made you alive together with him? It's when you heard something. So every one of you sitting in this room who love the Lord, and I'm, I'm assuming that because, again, I say if you're running from God and you showed up here at 9 o'clock on this Sunday morning, you're not doing a very good job. So this is not usually the people that are really seeking the Lord. These are the people that have sought him and are coming for encouragement, edification, fellowship. Why? So that we can go back out and engage this city. And it only takes... A simple message. Most of the people that I see come to Christ, even when they come to meetings on campus. Now, I get a different crowd because when they see God's not dead, like we'll do this coming Tuesday at Oklahoma State, they see that, then the skeptics come. And the skeptics come in hoping to debate and hoping to contend, and they end up hearing something that you can just tell you ever, you ever, you ever seen a, and I don't want to trivialize this because I'm not calling any person a dog, but have you ever seen a dog get something on them and they're trying to shake it off? They just can't get it off. It's like a smell or something. They, you know, the skunk squirts them and they're just, you know, doing everything. You can see skeptics come in and they get zapped with the word of God and they're just, they're trying. It's like, mm-mm, no, they're, <laughs> they're trying to get rid of it, but it won't go away. The message is far greater than being shot by a skunk. There's some, an aroma. It may be an aroma of death to some, but it's an aroma of life. And they end up just coming down and going, I don't know what just happened. I've had them come up to me. We give every student a free book. Every student, that's one of the deals I made with my publisher. Said, I'm not going on campus and peddling anything to these kids. We raise all the money from people like you. And that's what many of the mission, miss not just mission giving to the Baja or someplace else. You help get, put a book in the hands, a free book in the hands of every college student and I told my publisher, if I'm going to give them, well, you give it to me at the cost of your paper. And we've given almost 40,000 books away to college students. But you can see them. They come up, and I've had them come up at Arizona State, and they hold a book in their hand, and they look at me, and they say, "Um, I just want you to know that uh, I used to be against you, but I'm on your side now. That's, that's about as much as they can muster. That's about, they, don't, they don't know all the right things to say. They hadn't been in church. They just go, uh, I think I changed teams. And to change teams in this culture, it was like you growing up an Alabama fan, and now you're pulling for Clemson. It's like growing up. Do you, do you all know how hard it is to say I'm a Republican and now I'm a Democrat or vice versa? I mean, the allegiance to your political party, to your favorite team, is nothing compared to your allegiance, to your skepticism, to your anti religious stance. And yet, for somebody to change teams and to now say, I'm with you, is a miracle. But, and we have to speak. And that's most, that is going for the most part to happen. Through you. I spoke with Pastor Robert. I was with him on Monday. On the t- uh, yeah, yeah it, was the, it was so. The Monday, the 10th, I was with Pastor Robert, the, the man who you saw on the screen. And the, the next day, the, the September 11th, I was with at Gateway Church at a large group of ministries. All these movement leaders, you know, groups of churches, maybe a thousand churches in the room. And they asked me, I mean a thousand churches represented, they asked me to preach on evangelism. And so I do what I normally do, give a little dog and pony show and tell, you know, the, the condition of evangelism. And, you know, in America, this is what I studied in my doctoral work at Fuller, that only 3% of churches grow through evangelism. Most churches grow by people just, you know, changing membership. So when somebody's, somebody's revival is usually somebody's calamity. You know, it's like, oh, our church is really growing. That's because you're just attracting Christians. You offer a better nursery sir. You know, you got, we, so what we do is we, we build customers. We're not building, making disciples. And so it's kind of like we have, we have Christians in Nashville. They're, they're kind of like they're waiting in a line at, at, at the grocery store. And if they see this line going there, then that's how they do churches. They're just waiting, you know, who can get me, take care of me. And if I've got any problems, I'm blaming the pastor. I'm blaming the church. I tell you, don't, look, we may not be, the best in the world, but boy, we're sure not the cause of your problems. We, there, there's nothing we're doing here that's really not trying to help you where you live. Right. Help your children. We're doing everything we can. So, so we may not be as good as you think, but we're sure not as bad. That's what I tell them about me. So just this, this kind of don't throw me under the bus because of your problems. We're trying to help you. But, you know, and, and, and it's so I just I looked at these guys and here's what I told them. Here's what I told them. I get real, I I get I get I get real upset. You know, Jesus took a whip when he saw something going on in the temple that was unprofitable or was in the wrong thing, he started cleaning house. And I looked at these ministers, I said, I don't care about your vision. I said, I don't care about your values, I don't care about your strategy. I said, all of that is meaningless if you and your people cannot clearly articulate the gospel. I said, what saves people is the gospel. I said, if you have a bunch of people that know all about your church, but they cannot Take the gospel and understand it and articulate it. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The Spirit of God sealed you. Something happened when you heard the gospel. That no other, all of the trappings. So I go into churches that are vast and I'm thinking, what is this? What's going on here? If you ask any individual, can you articulate it? That's why we go to great lengths to say, learn the gospel. It's simple. Be able to articulate it. Be able to speak it. Well, they looked at me like you're looking at me. That's okay. I don't care. I do not care. I want you to know if we miss that point, we have missed everything. But God, who is rich in mercy. But look at what he says in the end. He says... For we are are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now think with me logically. If there is a course to this world, and if you get help, not only because, you know, if you're going this way, if you're going this way and the course of this world is this way, you've got a lot of company you got a lot of people saying, man, you know what? You're doing the right thing. You ever thought you were going the right way because you were following a bunch of other people? And, you know, my thoughts always, well, man, all these people can't be wrong. That's what I used to think when I go up to Whataburger, in and out, see a line. Well, this must be healthy. All these people can't be wrong and they are standing in line. But you start going this way, it seems lonely for a while, but guess what happens? All of a sudden, you know, now you got help going this way. You get into a church, and then you get a small group. Remember when Jesus said that when the demon goes out of a man, it goes and ser- searches in waterless places, and it doesn't find any rest, and it says, "I'm going back to where I used to live. I had a good thing going in that fella." And the demon goes back, and but what does he do? He brings seven demons more wicked than himself. And my my question to Christians is, if do we have the sense of a devil? Do you even have the sense of a demon? A demon says, if I'm losing, I better go get some help from more wicked spirits. If a Christian's losing, they just don't want to tell anybody. Why don't you find seven people more righteous than you? That's small group. That's just getting in a small group. The demon demon basically tells the other demons, hey, I'm not doing good. Hey, man, what, what are you doing here? I thought you had a good thing going. Yeah, I was over there, and, and uh, this guy was doing good. You know, I mean, he'd go to church, but it didn't matter to him. You know, we, he still went out and did what I told him to do, but I got into this church, and there was a guy named Pastor James, and I thought he was just going to be like every other Christian, and he wouldn't touch my, 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 my good thing I had going, my free ride, and bam, I was evicted. So that demon goes and humbles himself to the other demons and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing good. And he goes and brings seven devils more wicked. Why don't we have the sense of a demon to find seven people more righteous than us and saying, hey, I'm losing. I don't want to lose. But we have good works prepared. So if there is a spirit at work in the sons of disobedience and we can see all the evil and oh what's next and oh this and that and the other don't you think there's a greater spirit at work among the sons of obedience you see the holy spirit is a greater spirit the creator and if you start walking this way he wants to help you he wants to bring others around you and he wants to start, if there can be inventors of evil, he wants you to start inventing how to do good stuff. All the good that's going to come, the, this video context at this conference we just had, I gave a message called Every Nation 2040 because what the Lord spoke to me, my mandate and what I'm existing for is to reach every nation in our generation. We're in 80 nations now. So that's what, I, that's what I'm all about. It isn't just to build a nice church. It isn't just to have my sermons listened to on YouTube. It's to reach, that's my heavenly instructions. Every nation in your generation. By 2040, I believe we can do it. But you know how it's going to happen? It's not going to happen just through Nashville or Manila. It's going to happen with the average Christian getting an idea and God using them to open a door, and it happens all the time. Nations have opened up because of just a person listening to God, the Lord gives them a relationship. We've had the nation of Brazil open up to us because of a tennis, tennis coach at this church named Jack Center who brought the most, the, the, most, the most published psychiatrist in the world who was taking his kids, getting, getting tennis lessons in town, brought him to church. He's got good works for you. He wants you to walk in them. You know, this week, or uh, now it's been two weeks, um, I have a friend that was voted one of the top 50 minds in the world. You can look him up on the internet. His name is James Tour, T-O-U-R. And about, when you go on YouTube, you'll see a video with him that says something about a Jewish scientist and really big writing, so you can kind of see which one. But he has over 120 patents top 50 minds in the world. He's working in the area of nanotechnology where he builds little nanocars. He said, we can park 50,000 nanocars on a human hair. And he said, why would you do that? Because one day they're going to be able to take one of those nanocars and like a little little lunar module with a little drill, go into cancer cells and drill them and kill them. That's where they're going. And I sat in his lab and I took a video and I basically said, I just, he looked at me and said, this is my pulpit. Every week, every week he sends me an email. I'm one of three people he sends an email to, and it's an accountability that every week he's going to share the gospel with somebody. And I get that email, every, it just shows up this week, this week, this week, this week, this week. He cries out for souls. He said, I'm not an evangelist. He said, but I'm using my chemistry lab and this platform to just share Christ. He said, if I go and do what you do, he said, I I lose all my, he said, I lose everything because I'm not a preacher. He said, this is my pulpit. I walked into an office the other day and a woman had been through our evangelism training at Gateway and she was the head receptionist and she was beaming. You could tell. Everybody else looked like they were thinking about work. She, She just had this sign that said, I'm looking for ministry. Now she was doing her work, but she says, God's got me right here. God's got me right here. So guess what? God's got you somewhere. And what is that reason? You know, my son is very conscientious. My son Wyatt, I've got all sons that are all different in their but Wyatt's very conscientious. He's a senior at University of Tennessee. He's concerned about his carbon footprint. Do you know what your carbon footprint is? It's just how much carbon are you emitting how much influence are you influencing the environment? And I started thinking about, you know what? I think that's important that we all know our carbon footprint, but what about our outreach footprint? What is the impact of our lives on those around us? And how, what does that footprint look like? Does it even exist? And I started I started carrying the Bible around. Number one, I know I got my Bible on my phone, but it's, it's funny. When I have this in my hand versus this, when I have this in my hand, I'm not, I might be in the book of Mark, but be tempted to turn to Twitter. But when I have this in my hand, I don't have there, so I can only turn from Mark to Isaiah. That's my temptation. I've got 66 apps right here, 66 apps. And you know what? When I got this out, Pastor James and I were doing a, a, a wedding uh, last weekend, wasn't it Pastor James? And so I got up to go to the coffee shop and you know, bring it a big, you know, bring it a big Bible on the plane or in, in the coffee shop, it just feels weird, I know. But if you get on Southwest Airlines, it will really give you the best chance of getting a seat next to you open. Just have your Bible out. No one wants to sit next to the religious fanatic. No one does. So, you mean, I mean, I'm telling you, you will get to the last seat, and then you can just see a person looking at that Bible, looking at you, going, is there any other seat here? Can I sit up front? I'll sit in the bathroom. I mean, they're doing everything they can to avoid sitting next to you. Stand to your feet. Let me close here while I tell this story. So, I get up to go to this coffee shop in the morning. This is on a Saturday morning. So not this, not yesterday, but a week before. And, and, I, and I have my Bible. And I, when I'm walking in the coffee shop, a man sitting in the coffee uh, shop just, he didn't holler at me. He said, is that a Bible? And I said, yes, it is. He says, and he just, I mean, he just, he just leaned back. He said, I need the Bible. <laughs> I need the Bible. So I sat down. Now, we teach a little approach that anyone can use you don't have to have we have little tools called the god test and things that if you're really interested in how to really seriously engage people but if you can just remember this we call it salt you start a conversation you ask questions you listen and then you talk what we normally do is we do the other method we call it the talk method you start talking you argue that's the a then you get louder. And then if they don't agree, you kick them. You know, we see Americans are something, you know, if, if you ever see, if you watch an American in a foreign country and they're talking to somebody that doesn't speak their language and they don't understand, they think if I talk louder, come on, do you understand me? <laughs> talking louder, if they don't understand you, if they, if they don't understand you when you're, they will not understand you just because you raise your voice. So now I didn't have to start the, I mean, this man actually started the conversation with me. So what I did was I just started asking questions. I didn't start preaching the Bible to him. I said, tell me. And so he said, well, I've got a story you just wouldn't believe. You can help me get some music to, I've got a story you wouldn't believe, (laughs) kind of whatever that sounds like behind me. Um, I'll tell it in more detail in the second service, but basically he said, I died. I was 21 years old and I was electrocuted. And he said, it was a DC current, so it locked him in. And he said, there was, the, the doors were locked. I was in my parents' basement and the doors were locked. The windows were down. And he said, he said, after a while, he said, I knew I was dying. He said, then I popped out of my body. And he said, I began to float. And he begins to describe this experience of what is now very much a, a study? It's called NDEs, near death experience. And he says, "I," he said, "I went through light, darkness, light, darkness." He was basically describing stars and darkness. But you know, ninety-nine percent of the visible universe, um, of what what we see, is the visible universe. Ninety-nine percent of the universe is dark. Only all the stars in that that constitutes less than one percent of the of the known universe. Most of the universe is dark matter or dark energy. It's darkness. He said, and he was describing this. And he said, I began to approach a light. I began to approach a light. And he said, this figure comes out. He says, and I know it's God. And he said, um, he said it was both joy and terror all at once. And he said, I stood there. He said, and I, he said, and the next thing I knew, he said, I was on the front yard of my parents in the grass with the paramedic, paramedics with the paddles bringing me back to life. He said, I don't know how I got it. He said, the doors were locked, the windows were down, but I'm out with the paramedics. And he looked at me and said, by this time his wife comes up and then Pastor James comes up and sits down. He looked at me and he said, what's tormented me for 30 years is why didn't he let me into heaven? He said, was I not good enough? And so, I mean, I got my baseball hat on. I got my T-shirt on. I, I, I don't look, I look like you would not recognize me in that mode. You would just thought, you know, what's this? I wouldn't have looked, you know, like I, I mean, I would have looked like I had a home, but I looked, on the border. This is just rolling out of bed, going to read my Bible, hope nobody, nobody knows me in this town, put a hat on, go get coffee. So all I did was I looked at him and I said, well, what would you have told God if he asked you, why should I let you in? I can't repeat what he said. He did, I'll, I'll clean it up. Heck, I don't know. And then I just basically explained the gospel. I just, I said, look, the gospel is, I said, have you ever heard this? He goes, well, that's just like, a, and he gave, I said, no, let me explain it to you. He said, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. I said, Jesus was not just a representative of God. He was this creator in human form. God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. Now, he didn't, he broke a lot of religious laws. I said, but he never broke the moral law. And then he died the death we should have died in our place three days later he rose from the dead proving he's the son of God see the resurrection separates Christianity from every other religion God bases the entire weight of the truth of our message on one event if Christian if the resurrection didn't happen the whole thing's false God raised him from dead, proving he was the son of God, and he offers salvation and forgiveness to everyone who repents. That means you turn from the way you're going, you're going this way according to the course of this world, and you turn and you go that way and put your faith in him. He takes his wife's hand. Pastor James and I did a wedding that night. It was just like a spiritual wedding. They grabbed hands, and with tears in his eyes, he just simply repeats the gospel and says, I believe this. I go back to give my wife the coffee. When I got back, he was trying to buy my room. I said, my room's already paid for Don't go buy my room. He was trying to pay for my hotel room. And he just walked around in that coffee shop going, now I know. Now I know what gets me in. It wouldn't have been, and I showed him, he was a Catholic man, so I'd had a, I showed him a picture I had with the Pope at the end. I said, you see, this is me. Pastor James took the picture. He went with me. We, we were both there. I I loved turning to the Pope and said, have you met my pastor? I said, let me introduce you to my friend James. Pastor James shook the Pope's hand like that. We're not Catholic, but that was still fun. I said, you know what? If me and this man stood before God, nothing that we've ever done would get us in. I said, we get in the way you get in. Putting the weight of our trust in Christ. The weight of our trust the weight of our trust let me let me say this to you come on pastor James come on up let me get down on my knees and beg you I'm begging you I'm down on my knees please learn this message you can do this don't look at me or pastor James as if we have anything that you don't have the same gospel that saved me is what saved you please learn it if you don't know it don't go to sleep tonight until you know it you can pull down the, the, the app, the God test. It's free. There's little, you can say, train me. It's right on the homepage. Five minute video. If you spend, you will spend so little time learning the gospel. It will take you so little. And then don't get under pressure. Just be like Moses when he got before God and he began to tell God why God couldn't use him. Couldn't talk enough. And in Exodus 4-2, God just says to Moses, what's in your hand? you know capital one says what's in your wallet what's in your hand what's there just use what's there your life your talent well i'm just working as a waitress what's in your hand father help us today lord first of all anyone in this room that while your head's about if you haven't received the gospel and believed again just say yes jesus i believe you i believe the gospel he'll make you alive he'll make you spiritually alive instead of walking one way you can walk in a new way but this altar call is for you today I'm just asking and I'm begging I'm pleading with you on my knees not to be melodramatic learn the gospel be able to explain it you don't have to be clever just be faithful and be ready I'm not the guy that goes to the mall. I'm not asking you to go out to the mall and stop people. I'm not asking you to go to the streets. I'm just asking you to be ready. When that moment comes, the good works he has prepared for you, not just me and Pastor James, he's prepared good works for you. Father, bless, Lord, bless us by giving us the focus we need that on this very day, rather than rushed home to the footballer. Lord, we can take one hour and become ready so that you can then use us when that moment comes. In Jesus' name.
1: You know, ministers, you can come down. I know that the message was impactful to you. But I pray that if someone's here in the message of Jesus Christ and him being Lord and savior has never been something you publicly confessed i want you to be able to come down if you need to get prayer for healing or deliverance or the devil's been kicking you all around and you want somebody to help you defeat them the people up here are assigned to pray for you immediately following this prayer you can come down and get whatever the need you have you can get somebody to fight with you and to stand with you, whatever it is. Immediately following that prayer, I'll be to the, your right, my left, at Guest Central. We'd love to meet you if it's your first time here. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone that is in this room. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.